Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Okay, everybody, I'm so excited about our guest today. I can't believe she said yes. She must not know who I am because she said yes to hanging out with me for the next hour. And I know that y'all are going to learn so much from her. Her name is K.J. Ramsey, and you probably already know who she is. She's the author of This Too Shall Last. Now, somebody who spent years in AA to always hear This Too Shall Pass in an abusive way. What an amazing title of a book. Absolutely love that. And she's also the author of a most recent book that came out, The Lord is My Courage. And I want to tell you real quick before I introduce her that part of her script on that is to explore a faith that doesn't leave your body behind. And as a body-centered, Jesus-loving psychotherapist, I'm excited. So KJ Ramsey, thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. As a body-centered, Jesus-loving therapist myself, I say, that's awesome. (laughs) That's who you are too. Yes, absolutely. It's good good to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So we're just going to jump in there and just start with our guaranteed first question and just to see where this goes. I know we're going to learn a lot from you today, but please let us know like what flipped your lid and what measures did you have to take to reconnect to who God says you really are? Well, the answer is what didn't. Right. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, <laughs> we can talk about how, experiencing harm and diminishment Mm. in the place where I thought I was supposed to be loved um, in the church is something major in the last decade of my life that flipped my lid Mm -hmm. and, you know, disconnected me from my sense of self and from my ability to regulate. And, um, but has also been the place where God has come to find me, where mm. I've most sensed that goodness and love are following me and yeah. seeking me and hunting me down and never willing to leave me behind. Yeah. So that's the beginning of an answer. Well, Amen. That's a beautiful answer. And I just want to throw out there that, you know, a year and a half ago, I was 16 years into a certain church and a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married, both came out like for the first time and this, mm-hmm. the exact things that we thought would happen, but hope wouldn't did, did mm-hmm. like she had to leave where she worked. I had to leave the church. I got canceled. I got canceled from speaking on God's stage, like everything that you could imagine. And my yeah. love for Jesus didn't change, but the church is just such a, a place is supposed to be a place of welcoming and all are welcome to the table. And that's not actually what's true. So will you speak right. in a little bit about for you, what happened within the church for you that all of a sudden a place that was safe now became a place of, of fear and disconnect? Yeah. Well, first I can't hear that and not mm. just honor that pain that yeah, you've thank experienced you. and I'm sure like continues to affect your life in really big ways. Yeah. So I'm sorry that you were dishonored like that. You and your wife. Well, I appreciate it. I and, received that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
I think probably similar, I would imagine to your experience, there's of like not getting to show up as your full self. Mm-hmm. It's when you make the choice to show up as your full mm-hmm. self, when you make the choice to seek wholeness, often that's when you realize this community wasn't letting me be whole mm-hmm. for a for a very, very long time. And so like your experience of your belonging, your sense of belonging, it changes. And and the story that you told yourself about church um, suddenly it shifts mm-hmm. and, and you realize, oh, wait, like this has been not great for longer than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, you know, I grew up in the church. I talk about this in the book. I was almost born in my church's parking lot. Like I went to church at least three times a week growing up. Um, my dad was an elder, like a, a leader in our church. And um, I went to a tiny fundamental independent Baptist school, um, mm-hmm. which was not the kind of church I went to, but like a Bob Jones-esque um, yes. yeah like skirt wearing, body shaming, King Mm. James Bible holding Mm. community (laughs) um, Mm. as the, for third through 12th grade. And um, then as an adult, like way further down the road from those experiences, it was as my husband got his first job as a pastor um, after trying to live out his calling for so long and not having there be room for it Mm. um, that we found ourselves in a community where at first we just thought maybe like our preferences were very different than the church's preferences. And, but we were just really grateful that we could do what we felt called to do Mm -hmm. and that somebody Mm -hmm. was giving us a place to do that. Um, and that we needed to die to our preferences, yeah. <laughs> quote unquote. Speak it, please, uh, please. Yeah, speak like it. we thought, you know, um, this whole thought that like a mature Christian is easily edified. So yeah. like, I shouldn't be sad that going to church feels like going to a funeral, um, or like it's really weird to be around just a bunch of really educated white people all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd come from a multicultural church. So it's like jarring to be Mm -hmm. in a different um, monocultural kind of community. But I thought, well, these are my preferences. So I need to like, for the good of the body of Christ, like not, not care so much, not be such a consumer. Right. And turns out years down the road, looking back after way more domineering behavior had happened from our lead pastor and there's young, like yelling had happened and, you know, shaming of my body and just Mm. all sorts of things that I Mm. detail in the book. Looking back, I realized, Oh, like this wasn't, that wasn't ever about my preferences Mm -hmm. um, about church. It was my body from the very beginning of being in this community saying there's something not right here. Yeah, that's right. And I didn't know how to listen to my body then because I had the religious inheritance of mm-hmm. shaming myself and my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, leaving, like beginning to hear the cries of my own body that mm-hmm. like, this isn't safe. This yeah. There's, I don't feel like I can be my full self here. 
I don't mm-hmm. like being yelled at. I don't like my coworkers being yelled at. Yeah. Um, just all all sorts of things of ouch, feeling the ouch mm-hmm. of what it's like to be in a community where you're supposed to be about proclaiming God's love. And instead mm-hmm. you feel burnt out, pushed down, controlled, and beleaguered. Um, yeah. and this, uh, our, our way out. Yeah, and just want to offer you what you offered me, just the sense of, of just the sadness, the sorrow of your experience that you and Ryan, your husband experiencing that. You know, it's, it's so interesting and it's calming. There's a level of empathy, which I know even in the church we get yelled out for even the empathy is a sin and all the things you write about in your book. And, yeah, and, and so, but what's so interesting to me is that for someone like me to go through it seems logical, but the more people I meet, the more we speak openly about our own stories. We find out people go through the same thing because the system is what's flawed. It's not, it's not us who are coming in trying to have a full experience and truly live the greatest commandment, right? Mm-hmm. The only way to love our God with our heart, soul and mind is to know our heart, soul in our mind. But where mm-hmm. other scripture is misapplied, in my opinion, misinterpreted, you're told anything about self is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you've done so much work around reconciling that and your body paid a price. I know it's talking to you, but it also paid a price, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I still, I, I was on a podcast yesterday. I told them like, it's been four years since we left that church mm-hmm. and I still can't always go to church on a Sunday. Like I took time away, which I talk about in the book, but Mm I, I can't, I, I have a hard time still listening to a white man preach. Yeah. I, there are things that will forever, my body experiences as different and, and Mm -hmm. I'm not as, as triggered. Mm -hmm. I'm not flipping my lid as much. Um, As I did before getting a lot of help and like caring for my body to gonna release some of the trauma energy that got built up. But um, but yes, like mm-hmm. I think for me, I can't really separate the fully the experience of spiritual abuse and the resulting religious trauma and mm-hmm. the lower grade religious trauma of being raised in mm-hmm. a evangelical subculture where bodies are shamed and emotions are demonized. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the result of that lifelong dismissal of physicality and the good signals of our souls that like lead us into communion and connection and safety, mm-hmm. um, that has had a very big effect on my body. That, mm-hmm. I think there's there continues to be a big price there yeah. in the way I experience the world and maybe even somaticize stress. Yeah. Cause it's, I hear the layers of that for you. The, the, I mean, invalidation is a form of trauma, religious abuse, spiritual abuse and relational trauma. And so mm-hmm. for, for those listening to think about, like if you have a single incident trauma, like a car accident on the interstate, then, being on the interstate is what the threat is, is what takes you back to the old story, the old pain. To be abused by someone who is white in the church, that becomes that becomes part of the threat. That becomes part of the reminder that causes our, have a physiological reaction that we don't feel safe, right? And mm-hmm. story follows state. And so all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you have to decide, are you 
can you go to church that day and stay physically and spiritually well? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things along with it, right? Like the way there's songs mm-hmm. and the the memory of like mm. being in worship services where everything had to be so perfect. Mm. Um there's so many very subtle reminders. Um, and it's not even just all around services. Like I talk um, to a lot of people, a lot of readers who feel such um, disconnection from scripture mm-hmm. because for so many of us, scripture has been used against us. Yep. Um, yep. Whether in this kind of experience of spiritual abuse where you become gaslit mm-hmm. for grieving real wrongs, mm-hmm. um, gaslit for actually doing the mature and courageous thing by confronting evil, but then you're called like Satan's helper right? Um, or an attack from Satan. Classic narcissistic move, isn't it? Of course. Yes. Darvo is a real thing. Yeah. Um, But it's also scripture gets weaponized against Mm -hmm. any of us who are suffering, Mm -hmm. who experience long-term issues with our mental health, our physical health, which are all one and the same, by the way. I know you believe that too, but like those of us who can't just rise above our painful circumstances Mm -hmm. do get, um, a sword gets taken to us. Scripture gets used as a sword against us. That's right. Um, and so reading the scripture, dwelling in it, spiritual disciplines too, these can all become things that no longer feel safe Mm -hmm. to us. And we have to like find our way into safety Mm -hmm. to honor these bodies that Christ cared enough to die for. That's right. right. And yeah, so it's a, you know, everything I think gets affected by these experiences. Yeah. We talk a little bit about, because you're not in the church as much, Mm-hmm. But doesn't mean doesn't take away from your relationship with God. It's so obvious mm-hmm. from your your postings from both of your books that I, that that I've read, like that you are in an intimate, beautiful, very real relationship with God. And so, just to talk a little bit about that of growing up the way you did to actually take that risk, build to say like, okay, I'm willing to be in the relationship, not just be in church. Like how yeah. you've reconciled that. So. Yeah, it's um, and both. I I say today my relationship with the church has forever changed, yeah. particularly with the institutional church. Right. However, I still believe in the union of Christ and the communion of saints, mm, and I believe that I am part of the body of Christ, whether I go into a building mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Say that. And yeah. yeah. So, like, yes. the body of Christ, the actual church, is more than the conglomeration of people who have harmed me, who have harmed you. Mm-hmm. And it's more than the the buildings that have budgets to be met. And it is it's more, it's, it's something like we cannot, whether I go to church on a Sunday every single week or not, like I am part of 
this global, invisible, mystical body of believers where like my wholeness and my thriving are bound up in yours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that I cannot separate myself from. Um, And that's more real today than it was prior when I was like obsessed with church membership and tithing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like showing up every week, no matter how terrible I felt, all these things. Um, The the proven earning mentality that we get trapped in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, my relationship with God is a source of great joy. Mm -hmm. I think I am always connected to God. So Mm -hmm. for me, um, my experience of the presence of God is very connected to my constant shifting and, um, what's the word I would want to use? My sense of communion, like my ability, my, uh, practice of regulation that like, I, every moment of the day in which I experience stress, Mm -hmm. in which I am overwhelmed, in which I am angry, um, in which old pain comes up and I need to like learn to receive a new story about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, These are all moments in which there's no separation for me between honoring my body and what she's saying and Mm -hmm. receiving God's grace and presence Mm -hmm. within me Mm -hmm. that I can then also like express to others. For me, it's all seamless um, and it's yeah. very bound up in these like practices of self-regulation mm-hmm. and embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, happened through the impetus of my own pain. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit? I know you had a, I knew you had treatment this week. And that our audience might not know exactly yeah. what's happening with you, but there's there's a whole other story within this story. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, last week, yeah, last week mm. I started um, high dose immunoglobulin infusions, mm. um, IVIG. Mm-hmm. Well, they will be high dose, but we have to start at a low dose and yes. progressively make our way higher. And apparently. Mm. I didn't tolerate it well enough, so I don't get to go up to the next dose next time, but, um, it's, it's Mm -hmm. pretty intense. I, I got COVID, um, in January on top of, I had already, I've had an autoimmune disease for going on 14 years. Mm -hmm. And so I was immunocompromised. And when I got COVID and I didn't know that I had COVID because the tests aren't always sensitive enough to detect active infection in people whose immune Mm -hmm. systems are compromised, um, I ended up, uh, developing six new diseases and wow. six, so six. Yeah. Wow. So I have seven diseases or conditions, um, wow. now, and I, I spent three months in bed this mm. spring, this winter and spring with it. It was extremely ill, mm. um, went through cardiac rehab, um, and, it was awful. Um, and this treatment that I now need, like it'll be every three weeks 
if it works after six months for life. Wow. And yeah. it's um it's a long recovery. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm hoping they're telling me hopefully I won't feel as sick every single mm-hmm. time and I'll have like more like a day or two days of being in bed more than like four, like this time was. But yeah, yeah my um for 14 years sickness has been a big part of my life and, you know, experiencing my body saying, no, Mm. we are not going to do all of this and we're going to (laughs) stop. And experiencing having to believe my own body and what she's saying about how much pain she is in Mm -hmm. and learning how to advocate for her to Mm -hmm. believe her no matter what anyone else thinks or says, including yeah. medical professionals. That's right. Um, yeah. You get to be an that, expert. Yeah. yeah. I am the expert mm-hmm. of my own experience mm-hmm. and my own body. And yeah. um, I've found that learning how to listen and to and honor my body and advocate for her mm-hmm. um, has been the practice of courage that made it possible to then listen to and honor the broken parts of the body of Christ, the parts Mm -hmm. who are hurting Mm -hmm. Um, because we've got an autoimmune disease in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Absolutely. So for you, because we know that, you know, through adverse childhood experiences tests, like we know that trauma gets wrapped in the body. We know it becomes... So got it, quite a lot of aces. Yeah, yeah. I scored high as well. So proud of myself. <laughs> so if proud. I score high so on something, right? Right. So, curiosity of how much are you prescribing to being within a, a a church environment that can actually tell us to not that suppresses who we are? I, any correlation that yeah, you discovered? I think it's a very mysterious, complex interplay. So yeah. for me. We've got, just as an example for Mm -hmm. those listening, we've got complex childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. including sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. We've got Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. generational trauma handed Mm -hmm. down. We've got um, just the general like evangelical religious trauma of the lack of attunement around our emotions and, Mm -hmm. and like goodness um kindness and care around mm-hmm. the physical and emotional life of mm-hmm. a person yeah. um and then you know as an adult we have the spiritual abuse and religious trauma mm-hmm. that is very compound um and in my family there's tons of autoimmune disease on both sides of the family mm-hmm. and I, and we have a lot that's wrong genetically But when it comes to autoimmune disease, a lot of genes become expressed when activated by trauma or infection and like Mm -hmm. infection um, activated these Mm -hmm. new diseases in me this spring, this winter and spring. Basically, my answer is it's all so connected. So connected. And I, I don't, I don't think that it is a um, coincidence that there is so much unresolved trauma over the generations of my family Mm -hmm. and that a lot of us are really sick. Yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's our fault, but I think that Mm -hmm. I get the opportunity 
to make a change in my family history and Mm -hmm. say like, I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to release as much of this trauma energy, as much of this shame that has been like weighed Mm -hmm. down, um, pushed onto each Mm -hmm. of us throughout the years throughout the generations um yeah. i'm going to release as much of that as possible mm-hmm. and and try to live differently mm-hmm. um yeah so here the resiliency but also the post traumatic growth which we don't even talk about enough right of yeah of how you're interacting with that so i'm curious as you are active in the symptoms of ptsd and autoimmune mm-hmm. Because obviously you've gone to school, you've studied. Uh, I hear polyvagal when you talk. I hear yes, interpersonal yes. neurobiology. All the things that excite me way too much. Yeah. Like I hear all that when you're when you're speaking. IFS, it's all oh, IFS. Yeah. All all the things, all the things that that are just such a beautiful way of learning how to interact with self and others. And so I hear all that. How how are you? I mean, because obviously you're 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 aware of what's happening within your body, and you're also spiritually, intellectually attacking all of it. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are you asking like as a trauma survivor, mm-hmm. in addition to a clinician, like how do I keep receiving this stuff as good? Yeah. And, and just your, is that part of the motivation that with your own trauma yeah. that you go seeking and then it figuring out what oh, lands and all the things? Yeah. I'm like, um, you know, in, in the book, uh, how it goes through Psalm 23 and mm-hmm. in that Psalm, it says my cup overflows. Yeah. And I feel like it's in my own experience of my cup seeming empty, mm-hmm. like being emptied out. And I think that's maybe another way to describe the experience of flipping your lid and like, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, descending down the autonomic ladder mm-hmm. into even dorsal, mm-hmm. like right. Right. that is an experience of being emptied out. Mm-hmm. Like you do not feel strong when mm-hmm. you are in dorsal, yeah. you feel despair and you feel deep discouragement and, um, life is not hopeful and great in mm-hmm. those moments in that dark place. Um, that is being emptied out, but it is, in the experience of learning how to honor myself and my younger self in that mm-hmm. dark place at the bottom of the autonomic ladder right. and in the middle, but we'll talk about the bottom first. Right, it's sure. like experience, like learning how to honor her and honor her need for co-regulation for mm-hmm. a person to be mm-hmm. with her. Um, that has changed my life. Like to, to be able to experience being sought and Mm -hmm. seen, um, by someone who is safe, including Mm -hmm. the presence of the Holy spirit in Christ, um, including my own spouse, including Mm -hmm. best friends and, and people in my life. Um, I get to experience over and over, because I am a trauma survivor, because I still have, I travel the length of the autonomic ladder more than maybe the average human being. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I go up and down that ladder a lot. Right. Uh, because of the history of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means I get to, I get to know that pathway really well. Right. And I have come to be filled 
Mm. from my own place of emptiness. Mm -hmm. And I've come to trust that every time I'm emptied out, I I am actually being filled and this cup overflows. Um, So yeah, it's practicing presence toward my own body in the midst of her stress and letting Mm -hmm. others be present to me there. Mm -hmm. Um, And all the myriad ways of doing that, of all the different tools that we have, like mm-hmm. emotional freedom technique and mm-hmm. tapping and havening and yeah. going yeah. on walks and, you know, all the things. Right. But right. that I I am a, just because of my own great need to be able to show up in my life even with all these things that drag me down, mm-hmm. um, I can't help but like share the way home mm-hmm. with others because God keeps showing me the way home. Yeah, so so rich, so many nuggets in what you just said, and you know, and just the idea, you know, complex PTSD. One definition: there's different types of complex PTSD, but one definition, especially relationally, is knowing that. Not only are our emotional needs not fulfilled, we're ashamed of even having them. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know how to be seen safely. We get shamed mm-hmm. for needing attention, even though it is a God-given emotional need. And that when shame is closer to your emotional needs than your parents or your authority figure are, then there is absence of self. And so what you just described is that you are giving yourself and the younger parts of yourself the, the emotional needs fulfillment, that you're seeing yourself safely. You're giving yourself attention. And that is a slow, methodical process, but it's more healing than I think people realize. It is. I, I don't think people realize the, A, the amount of relief that's possible pretty quickly Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and B, the amount of change that's possible as you practice that in micro moments yes. over the course of years. Yeah. Like yeah. I am different. <laughs> I am yeah. a different person right. than I was even three years ago, yeah. five years ago. Like I'm, I'm different. I can show mm-hmm. up in my life with more freedom mm-hmm. and, um, that. I, I just want people to know that yeah. you're not stuck. You do not have to be stuck. Yeah. And, and part of getting them hearing you say so well unstuck is that one thing we do, particularly within the marriage, is trauma bonding happens with your pastor, or your boss, where we mm-hmm. are waiting on the other person to do for us what our parents didn't do. And part mm-hmm. of getting stuck is because it was their responsibility to notice that it, it mm-hmm. was teacher's responsibility, even though I think they have the the hardest, worst job ever. So I won't even talk about that. But like it, and so when it doesn't happen, we don't understand that the subconscious is now dominating that I will say that I'm feeling lonely because of your work addiction. The truth is, it's because I don't know how to show off myself either. Right. I'm mm-hmm. going to make it about your working all the time instead of me being able to look at the fact that I don't know how to show up for me. Mm-hmm. But it's powerful when mm-hmm. it starts here. Mm-hmm. And things can actually, actually can change. And we can't change each other, but we can definitely change our own autonomic nervous system. Yes. Yeah, we can. And we, and I think what's both beautiful and challenging is that we need each other for that. Yes. To change the yeah. autonomic nervous system. So yeah. like, 
I think that's where um, I feel quite humbled by mm. readers because um, they hear from so many people who ask some variation of, but how do you yeah. find people who are safe? How mm-hmm. do you, you know, you're saying co-regulation is essential to like rise right. from the bottom of the ladder yeah. to the top, yeah. but like, how do you even let's, how do you find someone who's willing to do that for you? How mm-hmm. do you make friends like this, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, you know? And I feel so humbled by that mm-hmm. very honest question. Mm-hmm. And like, it is such a common question. I get this mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I'm curious what you would say to yes. the like, yeah. other than obviously our first answer is like, go to therapy right, <laughs> like right, with a right. trauma-informed somatic therapist. Right. That's but right. like... Yeah. yeah. No, I, l- I love you asking that of me. So it's part of why I started ICU Talks eight years ago, which is a mental health speaking ministry. Like we meet monthly. We've created a community for people that they are encouraged to come in to be raw and vulnerable and share about their walk with the Lord and that they are bipolar, that they do think about taking their life, that they struggle mm-hmm. on a regular basis. We we call ourselves like the more mis- more of a misfit you are, the more like that we will ask you and surround you. And part of why I started that is because I've been sober for 27 years, but I found more honesty and integrity in an AA meeting and more permission to be authentic in AA meeting than I did in church. And so I wanted a place where people who otherwise would never be asked their story to tell it. And so that's part of it too, is really whether it's celebrate recovery or finding resources, but for us here in our area, that we we started a ministry so people are allowed to come in and no one says, oh, you're on medication. Why didn't you just pray about that? Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't happen here. The other part of that, too, is epistemic trust. It's really knowing to find somebody that when they share with you and you question what they're sharing, that they're okay with that. That mm-hmm. you can decide yourself what's relevant and irrelevant instead of being around someone who tells you, that you're not allowed to mistrust because a lot of us mm-hmm. have a lot of distrust and have hypervigilant or hypervigilant trust. Right. So mm-hmm. find somebody like it's really find somebody that when you say, they say, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. And they go, Oh, well good. Cause that's not supposed to then let's talk about this instead. Like I think those are characteristics that I want to be around. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. Anything you would add to that for your, your answer to it? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about with regard to religious trauma Mm -hmm. and shifting relationships with church, because I think that's where a lot of my readers are right now. And obviously, like, still a big part of my life, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the people that are willing to, like, withhold, at least at the bare minimum, withhold judgment over what we need to do to seek safety and wellness, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are okay with like, are not just a bundle of anxiety about the fact yeah. that you might not go to church anymore and you right. might, and you're not sure yeah. if you ever will again. Yeah. Um, but can still like have enough, enough trust within themselves mm-hmm. in God, that God holds you together mm-hmm. no matter what. So they don't have to micromanage your life to get you back in church so that you will somehow be okay that maybe like God's doing a new thing in you 
Mm-hmm. And you remain part of the body, whether you're going to a building or not. So yeah. I think a, a lack of anxiety mm-hmm. when we do share what we're needing to do to take care of ourselves is um, a great indicator that like this person has um, um, some measure of trustworthiness. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so good. To hold our stories. Yeah. yeah. To that people aren't looking away. I mean, just like body cues of. Mm-hmm. Like when you do decide to share something that right. they're willing to still meet your eyes mm-hmm. while you're telling this hard story um, that if they fall into the um, the very natural but frustrating instinct to be like, well, what did you do to contribute to that dynamic? Like, yes. or defensiveness yes. about the church or defensiveness yeah. about a leader that you're talking about who harmed yeah. you. That they're able, if you are like, hey, like, I feel like you don't, like, you don't believe me. Um, yeah, or yeah. I feel like you're trying to, like, defend the church right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I need from you. If that's they right. can actually change course, like, yeah. like yeah. you know what, you're right. I don't really know how to talk about this, but okay. Yeah. Like, that's trust. That's safety. Yeah, um, yeah that's so true, the dismissiveness. And, and actually, so my book is called But Your Mother Loves You. Because my mother abused me, and I started sharing it with people. They would say, "But she loves you." Uh huh. And I already uh-huh. had that abuse. <laughs> that abuse and love were coupled. That fear and love were coupled because of my attachment style. And then they just yeah. reinforced that that of being hit and screamed at and chased and all that was love. And yeah. I and today I know that means that they were in their old story, so they couldn't see me. They can escort me into a new story. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's so much about being on people who are open to you having a new story and that you are called to be a new mm-hmm. creation. I can't hear the same script, the same sermon every Sunday and be a new creation. Yeah. Right. Like we really <laughs> need to be on people who think differently, do things differently. And there's an openness for mm-hmm. all that. Right. And it's so important when people respond to what you're sharing with them. Is it about them? Because they mm-hmm. decided to, to their comfort level or are they able to mentalize? Right, hold mm-hmm. your mind in mind as they speak. Yes. Yeah, I think mentalization yeah. is an yeah. amazing concept for people to study. And that's yeah. that's such a place of safety. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. For people to be able I think it's I think probably I'm guessing people listening, I mean, I'm sure you talk about this stuff on, on this podcast all the time, but would have maybe a hard time like it it makes sense to us as Therapist mm-hmm. to be like, okay, for you to be able to like hold that this person's story is theirs and yours right. is yours. That's and right. like, you know, you we both are coming to this with a whole litany of of histories. And mm-hmm. um that differentiation experience makes a lot of sense. But what would you say for somebody who's like, I've never heard the term mentalization, like what that looks mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in an average conversation about a hard story yeah absolutely so i tell people like you know so it means the best definition i've heard of is hold your mind in mind which means i have my story and i've done the work i've created Mm -hmm. room and space within me so that Mm -hmm. when you are sharing with me your story i'm going to think through your lenses not because I'm codependent with you, but because I have cleared my ears and my sight because I my emotional needs are being seen and heard or fulfilled. So I can think, and based on my questions I ask of you, it will show that there's some connection. If you say, 
That doesn't make any sense. I go, oh, what about this? And so Mm -hmm. it is that when you share what's going on with you, that there's no defense, there's no contempt, there's no detachment, that the person is actually inquisitive and curious. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is a beautiful starting place for our healing. And without curiosity, we, we just stay where we are. And the person who's listening to our story, they'll stay in their own story too. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I want to run off that for a second. Do it. Curiosity. Um, Because I'm thinking a lot these days about joy and Mm -hmm. the cultivation of joy. Mm. Um, And I've realized as I probe some of the depths of my childhood, um, that one of the places that I was deeply preserved was Mm. in, basically I won't get far into this, but like, visiting national parks as a child um, with my family, which we were partly doing to like keep my brother from getting in a lot of trouble every single summer. (laughs) So there's like, the reason is trauma. The thing ended up being one of the best parts of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've realized recently that like, it was the cultivation of curiosity and the learning how to bear witness to beauty as a young child that actually preserved something core in my selfhood um, for the trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm thinking right now, like even in this talking about mentalization and like being able to be the kind of person who is curious when you hear another person's story, like I would love for people to think, yeah, maybe it's daunting and scary to begin with talking to another human being other than your therapist about this Mm -hmm. and trying over or like going back to church. But like, what if you go into the forest (laughs) and you start learning about the trees or the wildflowers or the mushrooms? Like the, I think the, the heart posture of curiosity can be, extended into our relationships and so Mm -hmm. as we recover that Mm -hmm. goodness of curiosity in the natural world and our and our relationship with ourself of just like going out into the woods and learning how to be with yourself again and learning how to be there and take some deep breaths um I think that can actually build us back up to Mm -hmm extend that kind of trust mm-hmm. in conversation with other human beings. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. what you think. Yeah. It's such, such great action that's in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm preaching this Sunday at my new church. And so this is part of why this is on my mind, but this is to me adding to what you're saying. I love the story in John about the blind man and that he's blind mm-hmm. from birth and Jesus spits on him, carries on mm-hmm. and things I'll get arrested for. Jesus can just do. And, and so his sight's restored. And so then they bring his parents in front of the Pharisees. The Pharisees bring him back up. And I, I love that that he's like, they're like, tell me again what happened. He's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not telling you again. Because I'm standing here in my truth. And that I now love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. All of me knows what I just experienced. So I don't have to justify anything to you. And then they hurl insults at him. And guess what? It doesn't affect him 
because he's standing on his truth. They can't have trust of Jesus. They can't get out of their story to see he has a new story because his new story challenges where they live. And so Mm -hmm. I think so much of it about is be a people who, when you are in a challenge, it doesn't challenge them, right? Like it's, it's a, they're going to stand beside you and be with you and let you be in what's happening to you, right? That we mm-hmm. are to carry each other's load, which means stand beside somebody and let them carry their own load, right? Like in mm-hmm. Galatians that we're called in that I love the story of the blind man because, again, he now has sight and, and they cannot reconcile within themselves what just happened, but he still stays in his new story, mm-hmm. right? That's the community mm-hmm. that we need. That we like that whatever yeah. we experience is so encouraged and so like that because things I've been through through my sobriety, and there's no other explanation but Jesus. So it doesn't yeah. matter if yeah. I get kicked out of a church. It doesn't matter what happens. I still have my belief. But being able to find people who are going to continue to encourage you to keep going. There's nothing wrong with you. The only thing wrong with us is that we think something's wrong with us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's nothing yeah, wrong with us. There's a lot of wrong that's happened to us. A lot of wrong. And so in the areas where yeah. we are we can't see it, where we have mm-hmm. we we are blind that just keep being around people who are encouraging you until you see it the way that God's shown you to see it. Not because I want you mm-hmm. to see it. Right? Cuz that's that's me putting on you what I what I have going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But no God so delights in us. Right. And that's that's just, or the the attunement, the delight that he delights in us, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we can't hear that enough because what we've heard too much is that God is angry and punishing. Yeah, which is yeah. not true, by the way, everybody. Spoiler alert: it's not true. It's, it's not bullshit. true. <laughs> right? It's bullshit. <laughs> it's right. So yeah. I have a, I have a friend named Sarah, and she is what I call a holy atheist. Uh-huh. And yeah, so we've been friends for a long time and she's incredibly intelligent and amazing. And she recently, her, her son at age 20, I've known since he was five, he died from mental illness, um, June 2nd. And so she, of course, immediately contacted me and told me soon after that, probably a few weeks, she sent me um, information from a young woman named KJ Ramsey. She sent me, I assume, something that she had posted about if scripture was sufficient to heal trauma, why did the word become flesh and dwell among us? Trauma isn't healed by memorizing verses and biblical counselors gives us as homework, right? And it goes on in that it just continued to talk about that you haven't failed, you aren't faithless, and courage begins, be, begins by being a compassionate witness to your own stress. So, and it's fairly long, so I won't read all of it, but I assume that you posted this and that this, yeah, <laughs> this spoke to her grieving, wounded heart. Like she can see God in this and she can't see, she made this beautiful post about people kept saying, I'm praying for you. And she's like, stop saying that to me. I'm not a believer. But mm-hmm. that, that spoke to her. That helped her heal a little mm-hmm. bit. Wow. I'm pretty much just speechless. Speechless. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really glad that that met her yeah, and did. honored her experience too, yeah. what she saw happen. And I want you to know that for many reasons. One, that I know that you are doing the internal work and it's externally coming out and helping other people. And I know there's days that it's difficult 
to get out of bed and just to know that what you're doing through your writing, through your speaking, through hanging out with me, all the things you're doing, that it is it is for the body of Christ, even for those who choose not to be in the body of Christ, even for them. Mm-hmm. So great work. Thank you. Anything else that you would like our listeners, our amazing listeners, to know about but what it's oh, like goodness. to suffer and to get better? I know congruency is something that you talk a lot about, which I think yeah. is a, another amazing thing. You know, I think I just want people to know that they, like, I, I think I talked about this with the first question mm. of like, where have I flipped my lid and, and what did that, you know, what shift did that bring in my spirituality that whatever their losses right now or their experience of religious trauma or trauma in general, um, illnesses like mine, all these like e- extraordinarily hard things, mm-hmm. um, Goodness and love are still seeking you. Mm. Like, yeah. Even when there's, you know, in, in the book, I talk about how like it's, we talk about it, it's, it goes through Psalm 23 and then Jesus mm. in Luke 15 tells the parable. He tells three parables that are like basically elucidating the story of the good shepherd from Psalm 23. So he tells the, the parable, of the good shepherd, the parable in our Bibles, it's marked as the lost coin, but it mm. should be the good woman. And then the prodigal son, which should be the good father. Mm-hmm. And in the parable of the lost coin, I think something that just feel compelled to point out today is first God, Jesus talks about himself like a woman. Mm. And that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Secondly, the woman loses this coin inside of her house. Mm. Um, so she, you can be lost right inside God's house. Yeah, that's good. You can be lost right inside the body of Christ, doing all the right things that you were always told you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You can be lost. Um, mm. But the woman gets on her knees and she searches every little corner of her dark home. Homes in that time would have had like barely any light, just like slits in the window and they're made out of rock, dark, dark rock. Mm. Um, So she's like getting on the floor to find this precious silver coin and a coin can't cry out like the parable before it, the lost sheep, a sheep can bleat. But a coin can't even cry out. So like, even mm. if you are at the point in your story where you have nothing left to be able to keep crying out to God anymore, mm. God says, God is like a woman who gets down on her knees to find you and will keep yeah. searching until she yeah. gathers you up into her hands yeah. and she rejoices over finding you so much yeah. so that she invites all of her friends over and they have a huge ass feast right over the fact that you were found. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, I just want people to know that like, Mm -hmm. even at the bottom of the autonomic ladder, even Mm -hmm. in your despair and you're shut down Mm -hmm. and feeling frozen and in states of depression for months and months, even Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Even in the worst trauma. Yeah. Like God is coming to find you. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it goodness gets to be, and love are finding you. Yeah, goodness and love are finding you. And it gets to be unique to you. Right? Mm-hmm. It gets to be special to you because you are special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, just so it's powerful. It's going to look your particular way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That That is why uh, I love your work because it's too many of us in the church were told that God only finds you one certain way. Mm-hmm. And that it can be through any measure, any means, that the God I serve won't rest until, if there is a hell, that people in hell are taken out. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the God we serve. Mm-hmm. Not the punishing God. Yeah. Amen. What's, um, before I, I'm going to put you in the hot seat, but before I do that, what's next for you? Oh, what's next next Yeah, for me? what's next? You know... Well, there's one thing that's coming up next that I haven't like put on the internet yet, but we could, you know, I could talk about it. Uh, I do need to like share it eventually because I have a book coming out in January of um, poems and prayers. It's called The Book of Common Courage. And it's really, the subtitle is Poems and Prayers to Find Strength in Small Moments. Mm. Um, But it's like words for people who feel stuck and yeah. feel like they can't pray anymore um, and don't have words for what they're living through, but kind of yeah. want to talk to God, but like, don't really know how anymore. Yeah. Um, that's what that book is. And it's full of pictures. Like I got to put my own photography in there and it's full color and really beautiful. Um, yeah. So it's a, hopefully like a visually comforting Yeah experience for people to read yeah it sounds Um, great it sounds very enneagram four yeah it is i just like kind of still can't believe they let me just go play (laughs) that is wonderful make something pretty yeah yeah that's what's next next yeah that's exciting okay i'm gonna throw you in the hot seat right you know what this means as a therapist so i'm gonna ask you some brief questions and you say what comes to mind right okay off top of your head okay all right. If you can only ask yourself one question about yourself, what would the question be? Um, the first question that just popped into my mind, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm gonna go with, is what do you most love? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do why, you most but love? That's what came yeah. to mind. Yeah. Of course, it's about love, of course. All right. What surprises people the most about you? Oh dear. I don't know what surprises people the most about me. I I truly don't know if people are surprised by how nerdy I am or not. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, right. I am really strange. Mm-hmm. Although some people are like, you're not that strange, but I think they're strange too. Sorry. For right. The noise. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I don't think you're still a fool that they're not strange, by the way. I don't think that's good. Like, they really (laughs) like being special, so. It's true, it's true. But there's a difference between strange and special, so I don't know. That's true. I've come to be at peace with my strangeness, but. Yeah, they can be cousins. I'm probably more strange, maybe more strange in person than people would think. Okay. Maybe. I like it. Maybe. That's comforting. All right, what surprises you the most about you? Uh, Um, I think... I am genuinely surprised at what I've been able to do Mm, in my life. It is impressive. Um, I'm just, sometimes when I think about the amount of days that I'm sick or Mm. like 
hard shit that's happened. Mm-hmm. I and then I think about what I've been able to do. I'm mm-hmm. like, gosh, I'm thankful. Yeah. Cause this yeah. doesn't add up. Like it right. shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to to like get these books written or see clients still mm-hmm. or all mm-hmm. these things. Um so I just feel really grateful and I am I remain surprised that there's like always I feel like my life is like a walking like Jesus feeding the 5,000 experience, yeah, which I know sounds perfect. a little like pompous, but I just show up with a little bit that I have and right. somehow Jesus keeps making it into more than enough. And yeah. I'm like, really? Okay. That's yeah. cool. Thanks. Yeah, that is amazing. I'll keep giving you my little bit, Jesus. Right? All right. Very. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> last question. What does your playlist reveal about you? Oh, man. Well, I am very mood dependent on music is probably what it <laughs> what it reveals about me um i there's currently on my spotify like recently played quite the mixture from remy wolf yeah. for dancing out my feelings to mm-hmm. help myself regulate right, right um and just also to be a weirdo because i like weird <laughs> dancing um I'm a terrible dancer to uh like a classical playlist to I am obsessed with Brandy Carlisle. So oh, yeah. there's always a yeah. lot of Brandy going on. Yeah. I listened to a ton of Brandy while I was writing this. But that is awesome. Yeah. She, I think she it is... reveals that I I change my mood with music. Yeah. Or I go deeper. I expand my mood and stay in it. Yes. With certain yes, music yes. too. There yeah. must be a thing about fours and Brandy Carlisle because that is my wife's absolute favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something. Yeah. She, must, she must have a lot of emotion in her music or something. She really, really does. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. a one, which surprises me, but yeah, I see it now. But yeah, she's right, a one. Right, right. So she's got that four connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It's so there. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Hey, well, thank you. I know you're super busy. I appreciate you just being so generous with your spirit and your knowledge and, and most of all, your heart for the audience today. You so too. thank you so much. So y'all please find her on Instagram. Follow her, check out um, her books, go to Amazon um, and grab her books. And you know, in January, you're also one of the first people to hear that in January, (laughs) a new book is coming out. So to all of you that listened, I know you heard many things today that helped you reconnect to who you really are. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.